This episode of The Moment is brought to you by Braintree. Looking to set up payments for your business, Braintree gives your app or website a payment solution that accepts just about every payment method with one simple integration. Plus, we'll give you your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free. To learn more, visit braintreepayments.com slash moment. And by The Message, a new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'll be following a team of elite cryptographers as they decode a highly classified radio transmission. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. The message on iTunes. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is Brian. If you're listening on October 20th, this Friday night, October 23rd, in New York and L.A., I Smile Back comes out. This is the movie that David Levine and I produced, uh, and that my, along with Mike Harrop and Richard Arluck, and that my wife, Amy Koppelman, wrote. And uh, based on her novel of the same name, this was a movie made for all the right reasons, made independently and starring Sarah Silverman in a role unlike any you've seen her in before. Go out to the movie and support if you can. Uh, I'd appreciate it. Amy would appreciate it. Amy will be a guest in the next couple of weeks right before her novel comes out. Uh, But get a jump on knowing who she is and on seeing this terrific movie. Thanks. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today, look, it's possible you know him as uh, the guy with the hats and beard on 30 Rock. But you should also know him from American Splendor. And you should know him if you've been in a comedy club at really at any time over the last, what, 15 years? 20? Over 20. Yeah. If 24. Because this, this man's been a denizen of the comedy clubs for the last 24 years, uh, as well as being an author an actor, and an important figure in the comedy scene, Judah Friedlander. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. You know, and it's we, a pleasure to be here. We met with uh, headphones and a microphone. That's how you and I met. On Pharrell's show. At Scotty Pharrell's in yeah. the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah, th- yeah. he had the show, it was on one of Howard Stern channels at Sirius. He had a sports show, and it was just such he... an amazing, crazy energy show. I love that show, and I think he double-booked us and then acted like it was intentional. Oh, okay. That's right? cool. If you think back on it, isn't that what happened? I, I have no idea. You know, I, 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 I don't even think about those things a lot, but probably, yeah. Now, that's interesting, because there's a question I was going to ask you, which was, um, you are really perceptive, I think, and aware of how you're perceived, how show business works, how all this stuff works, and yet you cultivate this slacker persona. Is that, uh, I'm not even talking about the character, the onstage character, but it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition, isn't it? Your own sort of like creating a character who's not as aware or smart as you are. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, I think uh, sometimes I'm doing that and then, right. So what you're saying is like by acting stupid, you're actually acting smarter in a sense. Uh, I'm saying that the the person behind it is... You're a, a really bright guy, but not only that, you're in a you're a very aware person. You're I think a, aware oh, oh. of the stuff going on around you. I've watched you yeah. in clubs and interacting in show business. Yeah. You have a high level of sort of awareness. Yeah, you have to you know, my often it's interesting that the, my perception I think in certain areas is very strong. And then in some I'm really clueless. Like when it comes to like general like showbiz stuff or even, you know, dating women, I can be very, very dumb, you know, like not a high level of 
perception at all in reading people. But then sometimes I think when it comes to like societal structures yeah. and things like that, like how society is really working and how it's manipulating people to think thir- certain things or believe in this candidate but hate that candidate, that I, I seem to be pretty good at. But sometimes like with a girl or like let's say an agent or something, I just will not get the hint. You mean because you know? you're cre- you're with the agent slightly different. With the agents, you you become more credulous than you should be. No, no, I, I mean, believe, I, I you mean, just believe the no. Like I, I just like like they might be throwing me bullshit, and I just totally don't see it at all until like years later. I'm like, oh wow, they were like. That's why they I was never sent in on th- those auditions because they were never even fucking considering me, you know, even though the opportunity was there, you know. So and sometimes I'll have that with girls, too. So it's weird. So I, I feel like in some areas, yeah, I see through a lot of shit. Yeah, uh, but that's then, what it but seems often, like. But sometimes when it comes to me and my personal <sighs> stuff, really? I'm clueless. But if I, I can see it in other people pretty well. But sometimes for myself, I don't. Right. You mean if friends telling you the story, you'd be able to you'd be able to go like, oh, dude, you're getting you're getting screwed yeah, over. I, I, yeah. She doesn't like you. That guy is telling right. not really. When it, when it comes to me, I I often have no clue. Why do you yeah. think that is? I don't know. I wish I knew. <laughs> I, I, I life could be easier, I guess, if it, if it worked that way. Because but. your new book, which is these drawings and cartoons and, and like kind of mini essay points of view about the world and these right. little cartoons. It's clear that you have a real point of view about the ways in which we lie about the world we're living in. Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, in my stand-up act, I've been doing that a lot recently, too. Um, I'd say the past three, three, four years, I've been doing a lot of stuff. I don't necessarily call it political comedy. It's more like... uh, you know, I'm I'm talking about, you know, different things that go on in society that you may not realize. And then also about, you know, just human rights and the world. And it is an extension, <clears throat> excuse me, of the world champion where like the world champion, you know, persona has changed throughout the years. And then the past few years, he's become really like a champion of the world and the people for the world. And <clears throat> where before the world champion was so obsessed with, you know, just talking about these outrageous and incredible things that he's done. You know, recently I've been I've been dealing a lot with uh, American exceptionalism, and yeah. the because one thing I've noticed, and what I think what really made me start thinking things differently, I started performing in Europe uh, for the past few years, uh, three four years, going there once or twice a year, and it's kind of like if you, I'm sure you can relate, like if. I would guess if I haven't really written a full length screenplay, but if you're writing a screenplay and you're just working on it for days and days and days, hours and hours, I would imagine to get some perspective on it, you might need to take a break from it, not look at it for a few days, and then you can really like look at it objectively. And that's kind of the way, like, so when I started doing some shows in England, I realized I started learning more about my own country. And just for the plain fact of getting outside my country because when you're in it you don't always see everything and when you can step away you can actually really and you see how other people live day to day just in like i was in sweden doing shows and just their grocery stores how like when you check out your uh your groceries at the counter they have these dividers at the end so when you're you know you have the conveyor belt we put your groceries on the the clerk scans it and then it just goes off into that general area and then you're always trying to pack your stuff up so the next person's stuff coming in doesn't invade yours you know and you accidentally take theirs they have these just little bars there so that everyone's groceries get separated into a different area so you never have to worry about that right yeah so like just a, just seeing a little thing like that makes me realize oh wow you do, not everything is done 
the same way everywhere. Not everyone lives the same way. You everywhere. know what they call a quarter pounder in <clears throat> Europe? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Royale with cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know why? Yeah, I forget the line on that. It's the metric system. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. No, but, for sure, man. Because the world champion of the world. Yeah. Is a quintessentially American creation. Yeah, and and a lot of what I what I do in my act is. I mean, I have it work on two levels, where it works on just a simple level of just jokes, and then it also works on a little bit more of a subversive level, where it actually is saying something about society, especially with how, you know, self-indulgent so much of society is today, and narcissistic it is. And and I think America is not just that way on an individual basis, you know, with, you know, with everyone, everyone has their own Facebook, their own apps, their, everyone's just like living their own show, like look at what I did today. Everyone's on their own reality show with social media now. So it, there, there is something narcissistic and selfish about it. Uh, I mean, it's not all negative, but America in general, you know, when I, when I started traveling overseas more doing shows, you realize how one area where the media... Uh, Republicans, Democrats, they all say the same thing is they all say, like, like whenever the presidential election is coming up, we're electing the leader of the free world. The left wing says it. The right wing says it. Now, who are we? We're electing the president of our country, not the whole world. Germany doesn't get to vote on uh, who our president is. If the whole world voted on who our president was, yeah, then it would be a leader of the world. But it's not. But both sides give that same that same propaganda, really. Yeah. I mean, Norway. There are a lot of reasons for it. But yeah, yeah. yeah I but, mean, but you know, there what are I mean? a lot of reasons why right. that rhetoric is is not not just sort of like uh, empty rhetoric that that has to do with right. you know, as you know, like gross national product and right, amount sure. of nuclear weapons and military strength. And I mean, there's all sorts of reasons sure. why why, despite the hyperbole. Why, why that is sort of de facto true. Yes, Merkel is obviously a really powerful leader too, and there are powerful leaders everywhere. Yeah, but Russia and China. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But and uh, well, they would. That's why the free comes in and free. Right, 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 right. That's what they're. I think that that's what I think true. that's why they stick free in there. But they would probably call their own governments free too, and they would probably come with arguments for why we're actually not free, even though we think we are. So I'm saying it's all perception. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying no, I'm interested you can, in it. You can spin things in any way, you know. Yeah, but I want to talk about the 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 cuz I, I the people in China, you know, they they might think they're the leader, you know what I mean? Or the people in Russia think think they're the leader and they think we're just Yeah, maybe there's a little 14-year-old right. is going to be like the world champion of the world coming up there. Could be. Who knows? Hey, did you see the ping pong documentary Top Spin yet? Uh no, I'm actually they have a screening next week, uh October 23rd. Uh, I know everyone in it. I know all the main people in it. I'm friends with all of them. You're friends with the kid who goes to NYU? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I play with him all the time. Yeah. I have a, on my Instagram, I have a video of me and him playing in Tompkins Square Park. There's an outdoor Can you keep it in play with him? Sure. Yeah. I have a, on my Instagram, I have have me beating him in a point. I mean, how many points could you get off him trying his hardest in a game of 11? It would be anywhere from zero to five. On your, only on your serve, right? No, 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 no. If we played a game to 11... If you played a game to 11, could you get some points on his serve? He would win... Yeah, yeah. He would win anywhere like 11-0 to 11-5 or 6 tops. And then the girl, you'd get fewer points off the one, the Olympic Uh, girl. Ariel... I, I know Errol, but I actually haven't met her yet. Uh, but uh, and then Lily is also in it. 
uh, who I know. Uh, it would probably be about the same for about all of them. You know, I could probably, you know, because ping pong, there's often, you know, with the nets and the edges of the table, there's often. Can you recognize you know, the spin? Can you recognize the spin coming off the racket? Yeah, pretty, yeah. Pretty quickly. Yeah, we'll have to play sometime. Yeah, I can't really recognize it the way that I I no, no, used most, to be no, able to. A, I can't really a, recognize it anymore the way I used to be able to. Well, also, there's too much. Uh, there's so much going on. You know, when someone's at a very high level, a lot of a lot of ping pong serves are kind of like a, a baseball pitcher's pitch where you try to have five different serves, but they all look exactly the same to an untrained eye. That's what I'm or saying. Or even to a trained eye. So, I mean, I have I have several serves. I, I, you know, they look almost identical, but they're all different. Yeah. I only yeah. played competitively for a short <laughs> period of time. Like there was a year yeah. that I was really training and That's playing. That's awesome. And I think I've only talked about this once, but uh, yeah, we where my... my uh, my wife looked at because we were about to have our first kid, and it was like one of the things I was doing. I was so nervous about what it all meant that I, uh, I picked up this hobby, and I just started playing like every night. And then she came to a tournament where a 12-year-old beat me, and she looked at me, and she was like, I support everything that you ever do. I can't support this. I can't. I <laughs> well, can't support the three pong, hours a night at the ping pong place. Well, ping pong is good for you. It's, it's very good exercise. I think it's good for the mind. Uh, and, if you have, and it's fun. And... No matter what level you're you're at, it's still fun. Well, I thought of you a lot when I was watching the documentary yeah. because I one of the things about the world champion character uh-huh. is some of the stuff he says is true. Well, actually, when the world champion character first started, yeah, how did it? I want to know. You know, when it first started, uh, and that's your character. For anyone who's listening, who doesn't know Judah, your character for, ye- for has yeah. been for years the yeah. world champion of the world. Yeah, I wear a hat that says world champion, and when I first started, you know, my act was always very joke heavy. And very audience interaction heavy. You know, I always do a lot of well, now you work do, the yeah, crowd. For years, you've done tons. You know, and so I always did those too. But when I first started, you know, I was 19. My act wasn't very persona heavy. You know, my point of view, you're just starting out. Most comics don't have a super strong point of view when they just start out. But, you know, you Where grow. were you living? I was living in, uh, I was in New York. I was in New York. Yeah. Where? Uh, I was, uh, I actually went to NYU film school. So I was in the dorms. And I didn't like NYU film school for the most part. And I always feel weird saying I went there. It's just kind of, you know, when I was there, it really just felt like it's this giant bureaucracy and you're only there so that they can take your money. For the most In the part. In undergrad film, you're saying? Yeah, undergrad film, I went there. I, I went, I started going there in 87. I started stand up in 89. And, where, were you, uh, where were you from? Mostly Maryland. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you can still hear a little of it in your voice. Yeah, yeah, I do have a mix of New York and Maryland accents. So you came yeah. up here to go to film school, realized yeah. it, it Well, was... I also I already wanted to do stand up. When I was sixteen I realized I wanted to do stand up. From started... listening to like Stephen Wright and head and, and Yeah, well, you know, I, I used to listen to Stephen Wright and, and then in Maryland there was actually an all comedy radio show in the early eighties, believe it or not. It was a AM radio station called WJOK and they would play, you know, comedy bits and and I know it seems like really that's so yeah, it seems like they were, that's awesome. It seems like they were forty years ahead of their time yeah. or something. I was just buying comedy albums those same <laughs> yeah. years. You know, I'm yeah. three years older than so, you. So you know, when so, I was, yeah. you know, my dad had a Lenny Bruce album. You know, my so my dad was definitely uh, had comedy taste and was was, was into comedy. Uh, what did he do for a living? A scientist. Yeah, and then uh, so I never realized being a comedian was something you could do. So when I was around, I always did tons of art as a kid, and I talk about that in the introduction of my book. You know, since I was a little kid, always doing tons of art. My mom actually had a potter's wheel in the house, and we would do... So I wouldn't just do drawing. I would do clay stuff. Did that all the time. I basically... 
my parents were very strict, so I always had to do homework, but always did a lot of art, always did a lot of, you know, sports, you know, that was, those were the main things. When I was sports so, and sports and art were like your things, like uh, and yeah, I mean we movies, were, they, comedy. Yeah, I like that stuff, but we they weren't big on letting us sit in front of the television. Right. They were like, go out and play, go out and do something. Were they strict? Like they would know if you tried to go smoke a joint or something. Oh, I never did. Right, I'm saying I that's what I think. Oh, I knew yeah, you I would, I would yeah. be murdered. I would be murdered. Right, you couldn't even think about it. No, are you kidding me? Couldn't even think about lying about it. Right. Not only could I not lie about it, I couldn't even think about. Maybe I can lie about this. They would see it in your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You'd be over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Forget it. <laughs> Forget right. it. Right. And so you didn't have, you didn't, there were no overt manifestations of rebellion when you were a Oh, kid. there was. There was. And I was, I was very miserable. I was depressed and miserable and, and uh, very angry, you know. And I'm still, I think I have much less anger than I used to have, but I'm still depressed and miserable most of the time. <laughs> well, you have you that know. to thank for your career. So, yeah. You know, I, who wouldn't want to take guess, that away? I guess. You'd be a fucking scientist. Yeah, but you can't, uh, you can't be too crazy, because if you get too crazy, then you're not as functional. I think for stand-up, you can get up to about 50% crazy. Once you start getting into the 75% crazy range, you become unproductive, I, I think. Yeah, 75% crazy, you become, uh, what's his name? I'm just blanking on his name. You know, Louis' friend who eats the microphone. Oh, all I the time. You know, Richie, no, no, he's on television. He's All the comedians love him. I'm just blanking Rick on his Shapiro? name. Rick Shapiro? Yeah, then you become Rick Oh, okay. I'm saying you get over the 50% mark. Yeah, well, Rick, I think, is he's teetered above it. He's not always above it. You know, teetered but, above it. Yeah, yeah. But That's he's, right. He's so you're saying when you before. teeter above it. I think it. many comics have been above it before, and, and I'm sure Rick certainly has, you know, and I have other fr good friends who have, too. But yeah, you, ha you can't be too crazy, because then you really can't be productive. You know, you're in... You're in the hospital, you know. Um, yeah, well, so yeah, I think and you, about, and you, you think about it all the time with writers too. It's you know, same. and you don't want to do that. Um, right. So, so anyway, you so were depressed. You think you were depressed, like borderline, like the kind of depressed, hospitally depressed? Uh, if you look back on it, yeah, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah, because a lot of kids with like. You can be that and then find your way out of it is what I'm saying. So you yeah, did. Yeah, no, I, like... I st I have, I've had OCD problems for you. And not the kind of OCD they show in TV in the not movies. Not the fun kind? Yeah, yeah. You're not just organizing just, your pens. Ooh, look at look him. His desk is straight. I'm putting everything perfectly. Ooh, I don't want to walk on that piece of sidewalk because <laughs> it's got a little crack on it. I'll walk over here on this one. No, mine is like if you don't lock the door correctly with what your crazy version of correct is while saying a certain few words that are going to make you feel safe, you're going to get cancer that day. And it's not like, I mean, you really believe you're going to get cancer that day if you don't lock that door the right way while saying the right thing. You do know that just with that, we're jumping up to the 40% crazy mark. Oh, I know. That's no. where we're at. Bang, we're at 40. <laughs> I teeter. You're, you're playing with another 10%, man. I, that's the best. I am you've constantly got is that teetering on being too crazy. I am constantly <laughs> in yeah. that area. No, so that's all, something I've had since I was a little kid, believe it or not. And, uh, yeah, How do you, do you do, have you done the cog behavioral therapy? I tried, and the guy works. I went to was such a dick. Dude, I, so I got to find someone else. Oh, when we're done here, okay. I know, I'll take care of it for you. Good. I, I went got to two this... things that'll work. What happened? You went to a shrink, like Vinnie Bubats? I, I, I went to like, a few years ago, I went to like, I mean, it was four or five years ago. I must have gone to like four different people, you know, whether they were psychologists or psychiatrists. And I fucking hated all of them. One guy, I remember, he, he was like, a, he's some big respected guy, and, and, a, and a big actor recommended me to him, and because uh, I was really having a rough time. I was still filming 30 Rock at the time, and he goes, uh, 
I remember, so I was doing a one-time meeting with him, and then he was going to find, he was too busy to take anyone new on. So he was going to then find someone else for me and recommend me to someone. So everyone who recommended me to was like $350 a session. And I was like, I don't want to pay $350 a session. And then he's like, he's like, can you afford it? I'm like, I, I can do it, but it's, it's a lot of money and I don't want to spend it. So that's the whole thing of like, I don't, I won't have to borrow money to do it, but yeah, it'll sink a lot of money out of me and I don't want to do that. And I don't want to pay that much anyways, even if I had to, you know, uh, if I had millions of dollars, I wouldn't want to do that. I don't, it's, it's too much money, you know? And then he goes that me not wanting to pay for it was symptomatic of my psychological problems. Well, <laughs> no, it's, but it is, but I will say, and maybe he's right, but I was still like, could, yeah, it isn't one of those asshole. fucking circular logics yeah. you'd see on a yeah. TV show, yeah, yeah, yeah. like an old episode of Bob yeah. Newhart or yeah. something like, yeah. but like, imagine if you could, let's say you can I mean, pay, I, I have let's a cousin though, who's could, a social worker and she once said to me. No therapist is worth three hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, let's let's say you could go. Minutes. Let's say you could go, and yeah. then they would bring you peace. Like you would find a way to get to peace. Like wouldn't you pay? Yeah. Like if that's, I told you you could pay, if, though. if I said here five grand, and well, that's you like would going never to a restaurant. Have... That's like going to a restaurant that you've never been to before. Y- yeah. You've read no reviews, and they're like, "This steak is going to be three hundred fifty dollars." You got to pay up front, and you're like, "Well, what the fuck is that all about?" Yeah, but. I don't know that I'm going to fucking like it. Maybe you make it away. I don't fucking like it. Yeah, well, also, I will say, if you have OCD, there's a lot of ways someone can make a steak that you <laughs> exactly. wouldn't like. I mean, the, the, no. there, are, there are things that they could do as they yeah. present the plate to you. But uh, but wait, it's, it's an interesting thing, though, that you wouldn't spend... The, 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 because um, some part of the OCD, which is the safety blanket part, you you know, some big part of you probably well, also, doesn't want to get also, the fuck rid of. OCD is not my only thing. I have, I have a lot of trust issues, you know, you know, paranoia issues. and And some of them are mental problems and some of them are legit you know i mean most people i think in in my life at least let you down you know most most people aren't aren't you know no matter what job they have i don't think most people are doing a good job you know whether they're you know a janitor a- anything a doctor it's like most people are you know they're so distracted in so many other things they're not really doing a good job that's why i think i have great respect for anyone who does a job well no matter you know, what level of job that is, you know, whether it's from garbage person to, you know, doctor, it doesn't, you know, it's rarely done well. It's fun to talk to Judah Friedlander, even if sometimes it seems like he's having a hard time uh, with it all. We'll be back after these messages. This episode of The Moment is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy mobile payments. Maybe you're working on the next Uber, Airbnb, or GitHub then why not use the same simple payment solution that helped them become what they are today? Braintree makes mobile payments so fast, easy, and seamless. It's almost magical. Add it to your app with just a few lines of code, and you're instantly ready to accept Apple Pay, Android Pay, PayPal, Venmo, credit cards, even Bitcoin. And if some other way to pay comes along, we'll support that too. To check it out for yourself, visit braintreepayments.com moment. That's BraintreePayments.com slash moment. just want to go back. So you're 19, you're at school, you're yeah. 16, you don't know the my such own, thing my, as a my comedian. Main, my main persona you, was the young guy who's naive, but very kind of like dark and twisted. That was... I, originally. If I would, if I would yeah, because I did a lot of dark, twisted, dirty yeah. jokes and stuff, you know, but would have this facade of being this naive guy. And I was naive in many ways, but my mind was, you know... Judah, when you say that you were... You didn't know there was such a thing really... And you said you were around 16 or 17 when you realized you wanted to be a comedian. All right, so, what so a show came on. So in 1985, we got a VCR. 
and I wasn't allowed to stay up late. But the VCRs, for people who don't know VCRs, you were able to program. It was not easy to do, but you can program them to tape shows when you weren't watching TV. So I looked on the TV guide. You know, this is pre-internet. Uh, and there was a show called Comedy Tonight. And it was stand-up comedy coming from out of New York. It was all unknown comics. They had no big names on it. Uh, Bill Boggs was the host. Yeah, uh, I remember the show. Yeah, so, and the show blew me away. I was like, wow. Because they would talk, they had all these comics. I thought they were hilarious. Havy was on there one of those. Oh, yeah, yeah. Havy was on, on there, there like in 85 or yeah, 86. Yeah, yeah, I saw Havy on there. Yeah, he had I remember the seeing it. Yeah, I remember seeing it. My mind was bit. blown by him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he was hilarious on it. And and they would talk to the comics to be like, so what's going on? They do a little banter after the sets. So what's going on? Uh, and they'd be like, yeah, I'm at uh, Caroline's this weekend, you know, or I'll be at uh, uh, the Improv. And I was like, whoa, you can do this? You know, because before, right, I'd hear Stephen Wright, Steve Martin, Bob Hope, Rodney Dangerfield. Loved it, but I never knew that, it never clicked to me that, you know, seeing someone on like the Tonight Show or something, that that's something that you could do. This must be what know? happened to Peter North when he watched the Robin Bird show for the first time. <laughs> You know, it's been a similar. Yeah. A that similar is an amazing sort of, analogy. <laughs> a similar sort of thing was. I missed the Robin Bird show, uh, but yeah. uh, that's the so, first Robin Bird mention yeah. uh, on the moment. Yeah, and right. um, my producer Jason's looking in. He has no idea who that is. Now yeah. he's gonna have to put she, Robin Bird she, in the show notes. She was just in. Uh, she was in the newspapers recently, but she got attacked by a raccoon oh. or something. So hopefully she's all right. This but, one's this one goes out. Yeah, this one goes out. This to one Robin. goes out to Robin Bird. Much love, <laughs> much love from uh, Judah and so, Brian. Yeah, so, go ahead. So that's when I first realized you can be a comedian. Yeah. So at the time, I was really into filmmaking. I was doing my own. I started doing animation in ninth grade, uh, drawing animation as well as clay animation, and I was really into special effects. I thought I wanted to be like a special effects guy, and this is not computer effects because I didn't even know about that. Right. That wasn't even around. It was just the like Rick Baker. You want to be Rick Baker? Or uh, not quite Rick Baker. More film. Phil Tippett, who, uh, Phil Tippett. I don't was, know Phil Tippett. He was, he was, I mean, I think he still is. He was like, he, at the time he was the main animation guy, like in Empire Strikes Back. Oh, he those kind, right. He animated the, uh, forget the name of the creature. It's the creatures on, on Hoth that, on, on the snow planet. So that, Baker, that, that Baker would all... like make the uh, mask Chewbacca would wear and, uh, Tippett would create yeah. the world that Chewbacca yeah, would yeah. live in. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, Baker was makeup effects, yeah. like American Werewolf in London. Yeah. And Phil Tippett was, uh, more animated stuff. More like Ray, more like a more modern Ray Harryhausen kind yeah. of stuff. Um, and, I mean, both those guys are, you know, still around and amazing, but, uh, so, so that's what you thought so, you wanted to be. Yeah. And then I also got just into filmmaking, too. And then I remember I saw the movie Diner, and Diner blew me away. Well, changed my whole... Yeah. That yeah. movie is one of the 10 that changed my life, <laughs> yeah. for real. And like, I was you know, like... No question about so it. So then I started getting... And you were from down there, so it must have been... Yeah. Yeah. So I started getting more into just the amazing power of words over special effects. Because I had read... Uh, most of George Lucas's book, Skywalking, and so I loved all the filmmaking stuff. And then I saw Diner. I was like, wow. This, like, I actually recorded Diner on audio cassette and would just listen to it. You know what word I'm not comfortable with? Nuance. It's not a real word. Like, just gesture is a good word. At least you know where you stand with gesture, but nuance, I don't know. Maybe I'm... Paul Reiser in Diner is, playing Modell, is, 
is one of the funniest film characters I've, I've seen. I mean, literally every scene he's in is hilarious. I still yeah. quote the uh, ride home stuff like yeah. to this day yeah. in real life with Levine, yeah. <laughs> all my part, you know, all the fucking time. Yeah, it's uh, such. Yes, a, if anyone listening hasn't seen Diner, they can stop and go rent it. Don't you think? Like Netflix it right now. Yeah, yeah, it's a. Um, it's definitely one of the best comedy dialogue movies, and and realistic comedy, not slapstick stuff, but just really great natural. Dialogue that's and legitimately one of the best casts of all funny. time. The cast is brilliant. I mean, you know, you got yeah. Michael Tucker in the small part. Yeah, and but you know, you got Mickey Rourke, Kevin Bacon, Daniel Stern, Ellen Barkin, Tim Daly. Uh, yeah, Tim Daly. Steve Gutenberg is brilliant in that movie. Kills it, uh, man. That so... scene when Eddie first wakes. I mean, yeah, Eddie yeah. waking up. <laughs> I wrote. There's this magazine called Lucky Peach that's a McSweeney's and oh, okay. David Chang collaboration. Okay. It's David Chang and yeah. McSweeney's. Cool. And I wrote a whole long thing about Diner yeah. for them, which um, also will be in the show notes. Barry Levinson's first movie he uh, wrote and directed. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but so so you watch Diner and yeah, you're so, like, wait a so second. So that got me into words. That got me into comedy and words. And I was always into comedy. Like, even in my book, you know, I have two drawings from when I was 10 and 11 in there. Two, two little cartoons. Yeah, your book is super funny and smart, If the Rain Drops United, um, which is, on its own, a great, com- uh, a great strip. And... Um, yeah, I highly recommend the book. It's hilarious. Thanks, uh, man. I was going to read a couple of them, but you know, without the images, it doesn't That's really fun. work. You can, you can do it if you want. Uh, you can't. Because you know, a lot of them are like kind of serious too, or dark satire. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll read one of them now. Oh, uh, that's a long one. Yeah, that's that's a uh, that's in, some of it is sort of like dystopian future stuff, and it's written like it was from the future. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's not so long. Yeah, read whatever you want. With high levels of pollution, the sense of smell became something most humans wish they never had. As humans got worse at non-computer-aided, real-life, direct, human-to-human speech communication, the vast majority needed artificial assistance to initiate conversation. There was no official law requiring the removal of noses and the wearing of face clocks, but it became so commonplace that if you did not get the nose removal face clock procedure, it became nearly impossible to have a conversation with anyone. What people did not know was that when their noses were removed, 100% of them were implanted with tracking devices by the government. All the face clocks had mind and mood control technology, which was also biologically addicting, which made people never even have the desire to remove the face clocks. To keep the face clocks charged, monthly fees had to be paid to the government, which was owned by the corporation. The general public called these devices face clocks. The government corporation secretly called this Operation Face Watch. Yeah, so that's like a cartoon and there's drawings of... Uh, these, you know, characters of people with these giant, you know, clocks uh, where their noses normally are. I love so. it because that's, uh, you've just uh, reduced uh, 1984 to three pages. Okay, cool. Congratulations. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Orwell would kill himself if he weren't already dead. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you get Peter North and uh, Orwell in yes, one helping here on I the moment. It. I love it. That's what you, that's uh, what you get. So, because we're the world champions of the yeah. podcast world. So basically, in 1985, yeah, uh, what happened? That's when I saw that show, Comedy Tonight, uh-huh. and that's when I was like, "Wow, you can do this!" And I'm like, "I want to do that," because I knew you could become like a filmmaker, or director, uh, or writer, but I didn't know that doing stand-up comedy is something you can do, and it just blew me away. Uh, so I started writing jokes. I was very introverted, so I didn't um... introverted in school. Did people? Oh know yeah. You? I wanted to ask you: Did people know you were funny? Did you have a friend group that knew you were funny? If I did, it was very sporadic and very few, very few, because I was—I hardly said anything to anybody ever. I was very quiet and miserable. Were you like an A student? 
Uh, not, not always, but I, I got good grades. I, uh, I wasn't allowed to get bad grades. So right. I kind of looked at schools like prison where it's kind of like, you know, good behavior and, and get the fuck out. Right. You know, I, re- I, I really hated it. Yeah, like uh, 200 and a wake up. Basically. Yeah. I hated just sitting at a desk all day. I hated the, and, and that's another thing I've realized like with my book and then even with, um, my standup act, you know, a lot of it. You know, even if I'm talking about government stuff, a lot of it is dealing with oppression. It's really talking about oppression. And I really kind of start seeing oppression in all kinds of areas, whether it's school that's oppressive towards you. You know, you just got to, I mean, the fact that kids are in school for seven or eight hours a day, when I look back on it, I realize we're really here just to get away from our parents. I I don't think they want us around. It, It really doesn't take seven to eight hours a day where you're actually learning things. I, I mean, all that time you're in school, there's so much time wasted. It's just, it's just killing time, really. From doing yeah. what? Wasted from doing what? To do whatever you would want to do. You know, it's like... So isn't everything just so we don't have to think about dying? Oh, that's a good point. I mean, what? To do <laughs> no, what? Wasted from what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think in school, there's, there's so much time where you're actually not being taught anything or learning anything. It's just... Uh, well, bad, yeah, certainly know, certain just, kinds of schools. They're just shuffling you around at different rooms and shit, you know. I don't know. Just... Yeah, I hated it too, mostly. Yeah. I, I love, I would. I was constantly on, on the the search for a teacher who inspired me. Like, before yeah. I and even saw. And I would saw, have some good teachers here and there. Before I even saw Dead Poets Society, I had that idea of the professor, like of a teacher in my mind. Right. And I kept looking, and I found like two of them or three during my whole yeah. Sort of like. Well, uh, that's great. I mean, I think if you can get two or three, that's that's it, like, excellent. Oh, excellent. no. Um, yeah. In, I couldn't overestimate the impact. Those, yeah. I can name them. Like those three people. I mean, you talk about an important job. Being a teacher, they should be the highest paid jobs in the country. You know, teachers, you know, that should be. But them and the foot massage people at the airport. <laughs> I mean, the I like other. That. Because they also. Because if you're desperate enough on your way to your flight to stop and pay, uh, you know, Four times the price for a foot massage. Yeah. And you if, really need a foot massage. Yeah, and if you're there that early. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you really, yeah. you need it so badly. Yeah. That, I think, so yes, t- for me, teachers and yeah. whatever the word, I wish I knew the word. So, to me, there's- Reflexologist. There's, it's some, it seems like, you know, like even if you look at the election going on now, you know, both sides will be saying, this is what's keeping you down. This is what's keeping you down. So it's like oppression's always there on some level. And often it's, you know, it's self-inflicted also. You know, it's you creating your own. You know, just like OCD is it's like, well, why do you have OCD? It's like, I think a lot of it's biological. You know, my brother doesn't have any. We grew up in the same house. We're a year apart, you know. But have you tried medicine? So- What's it? Have you no, tried I don't. I don't like doing the drugs. I don't but, like but doing the, those drugs. You know, stuff. I mean, the th- I'm going to the- try the cognitive therapy stuff. Cognitive therapy works. I just got to find work. somebody who isn't an asshole. I know. Well, so. they don't. They have us this. They yeah. can be an asshole as long as they get you better. Yeah. In fact, but if I, I said I you're walking in a room with this session. guy, he's a I total get douche. The <laughs> but you're going to walk out of there with no OCD. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah. I think no. Yeah, but they got to really. That's why I never understood the president that I want to have a beer with thing. I don't need to have to want to have a beer with the president. No, I, I get you. I just that. want the president to go in there and do a really great I, job. I, I agree with everything you're saying. I, I guess I should explain myself better. I, I should have said incompetent asshole. There. Or, or, oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. You know what? Yeah. Because if you're, that's why I never mind the asshole surgeon. Yeah. But don't be an incompetent asshole. Right, surgeon. right, right. I, I should have, I should have clarified. You're totally that. right. Yeah, yeah. You're not uh, very good at this OCD thing because the clarification is a big. It, it's one of the big selling points of yeah. the people I know with OCD. They make sure you understand. 
Okay. Well, I, OCD is very different things. Like a lot of people think OCD people are always neat freaks. You know, they're often, their place is a complete disaster. Why it, is that, do you it's, think? Uh, I don't know. It's in, you can read about it in books, but I forget the exact reason. Are you neat? No. It's a, it's a mess. It's a disaster in there? Yeah, it's terrible. I hate it. <laughs> Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s. Have you listened to it yet? Not yet. Uh, We're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now... Uh, Sounds like a no. Well, we don't really know what it is. Voices. Music. Breathing. But, you know, I'm not going to mess with that thing. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. Subscribe to The Message on iTunes. So I... You go to, uh, you realize there's this thing as comedians and you come to right, New York. Right, so that I start, Is that why I, you decided to come to NYU? Well, I wanted to go to film school and I, I knew I wanted to do stand-up. Would you start writing jokes then? I started writing jokes at 16. And not sharing them with people? Or you did share them? No, no, I didn't share them with anybody. So what would that look like? You would just write them in a book? Yeah. yeah Make yourself no laugh. Yeah, just writing jokes. Tell your brother? Yeah, yeah well, you got to realize, like, doing stand-up comedy is a very lonely business, you know? Yeah, and I, and I think the longer you're in it, not for everyone, but at least I'm talking about myself, it becomes even lonelier. It's like when you Why? first start out, you have a lot of like comrades, would you say? You know, you're going to the open mics, you're, you know, you have a day job, then you, you get out and then, uh, you know, five or six o'clock, you go to the open mic and then you try to get on stage somewhere else and you go home, sleep a few hours and go back to work. And, you know, but so you have a lot of people at your level. In comedy, the higher level you get, uh, and the longer you stay in it, there's less people around than when you started for comedy reasons, for life and death reasons. And then also for the people that are still around, the more successful you become as a comedian, when you first start, you're doing five minutes. So there's 20 other comics on the show. So that's 20 comics you have a pool from to hang out with that night. When you've been doing comedy for a while, you become a headliner and you're the only comic often on the show, or there might be one or two people opening for you and you're on the road and you don't even know those other two people. So now if like the comics that I started with that are still working, you know, every, everyone's a headliner. So who are some of those people? Like who are those people in your, Oh, uh, Gaffigan. Uh, I mean, everyone might be off by a a year or two or three, uh, Bill Burr, Ben Bailey, uh, Ted Alexandro, uh, and you know, so I think Gaffigan started a little bit before me, but I, and well, I you started, guys ran the clubs together and I started before some of those other guys, but yeah. So a lot of the people that, you know, it's like everyone's going on the road themselves. So you kind of like start going, uh, by yourself to just, and then different cities all the time. So you're not really, you, you don't have that many people to hang out with, you know, your, your friends start leaving or you start leaving, you know? So, so it becomes lo- lonely. Become, but when you're in New York, you still position. go to the clubs, right? Yeah, I, all the time. Yeah. So in New York, when you're not on the road, yeah, a lot of the comics are still around, you know, and, and so there you see people. But, you feel but like it's still that... not as much as it used to be because also you get busier. You know, like when you first start out, you don't have any auditions. <laughs> <Just> hang out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the only thing you have to work on is your act, you know, but now there's, there's so much work. And now with, uh, you know, comedy's become marketing. And publicizing 
your career and trying to sell tickets has become a much bigger part of your job than it used to be. When you first started, there was no social media. So if you were going into a town, the only way to get press would be to do local radio. Sure. Uh, or, you know, local print press. But that usually they don't usually cover comedians. Uh, no, the morning radio is what you get. Right. right so now there's a million different things to try to get press. And so you can really get hung up on just trying to it can be a full-time job just just trying to publicize your career uh but, but when saying, i but started even, even, it was just jokes that's all you worked on was jokes and, and even that that was lonely you're saying because you were doing it yourself because i asked you if you shared them with anyone and you said oh being no. a comedian is lonely no but i think being a comedian is general a lonely job i mean as often now the only time i have a real conversation with people is and they're not even their conversations your definition of real could be whatever the only time i'm talking to anybody is on stage or on a podcast right it's like when am i just sitting around shooting the shit i'm always just you're just working just trying to get busy shit done and you know it's too much yeah, no I, there'll be like you yeah. could i mean i've had conversations with you in comedy clubs sure but they're sure, like sure 12 minutes right um, right right and so maybe right. you'll talk to two people right, right. i mean and then, you know, you get interrupted a lot, so it's, yes. it can get uh, hard to have a long course. conversation. But, but you start uh, writing these jokes at 16. Yeah, start writing jokes at 16, and then I kind of made a deadline for myself. It's like, all right, I'm going to get on stage before I'm 20. I'll use 20 as like, uh, that'll be like the deadline. And how would you give yourself that deadline? Like, were you writing journals to yourself? Would you tell anybody? Or you just like constantly had that in your head? Like the way... Well, I was obsessed with watching stand-up comedy, so I was watching tons. Right. And as you were much like, that's my deadline. Yeah, and then, and then I was just writing... Uh, what I thought was put together, what I thought was going to be five minutes of material. And who were you obsessed yeah. with? Was it Stephen Wright? Like, who were the guys you were, or women, you know, the, there the comedians were you were guys. watching? Uh, it would have been Sam Kennison, uh, Stephen Wright, yeah. Roddy Dangerfield. There's a guy you may or may not have heard of, John Mulrooney. Of course, I know exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was probably my favorite comic before I started doing comedy. So funny, you know, and so... Uh, you know, crowd work, just, you know, he, he can do a, a full show just and, and not tell one joke, just just be ripping the crowd to shreds. Yeah, I used to see him out at a club in Brooklyn called Pips, uh, which was in Sheepshead Bay. I think at the time, it, it's not open anymore, but I think it might have been technically the oldest comedy club in the country. Uh, and that was Dice's home club. I used to go see Dice, too. I, I was a Dice fan also. You yeah. were. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. and Dice is someone who, I was just watching an interview David Steinberg did with him, and they talked about the persona a lot. I mean, Dice is somebody who yeah, created Yeah, I mean, persona. amazing persona, Dice, you know. Because and, I, and I think it's only gotten better over the years, you know. It's interesting. Between Kinnison, I mean, Kinnison, his persona, he closed the gap between the persona and who he really was by, they at were, some point, they, it feels yeah, they, like. they kind of fused together. Whereas, yeah, but yeah. Stephen Wright kept this absurdist persona. He still has it, Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, I know... Uh, I've worked with Stephen Wright a couple times, and it was it was amazing to work with him because uh, you know I'm a huge fan of his, and he was super nice. But I haven't really talked to him that much, so I don't know how different he is off stage than on. But but, uh, but you would think he probably doesn't really speak in these compressed, yeah. perfect sentences. No, no, no in no, real no. life, no, in no, the no, same way no, that no. right. You know, it's interesting that those are the guys you gravitated yeah. towards even then, Judah, yeah. because at that time. You know, Richard Lewis and Jerry and Riser, and there was a huge amount of sort of very personal observational comedy yeah, I, I was, never, was sort of like the main thing, Yeah, right? I was never really big into the, uh, nothing against any of those guys, but the, uh, hey, you ever notice, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I was never really, I was always into the stuff that was kind of more bizarre and absurd 
And uh, I was, well, I was I always s- kind of drawn to that more. I mean, I could see why, even if you didn't know you were going to do it, why you would have been drawn to creating and then crowd work so- also. Uh, why I, mean, you I was be- a Rickles fan too. Well, you know, sure. You know, he was just uh, amazing. His ability to control the room was, I mean, no oh way. yeah, 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 G- great energy. You know, uh, so you told yourself by time twenty. Yeah. So, so what'd so, you do? So I went to an open mic on uh, in DC. I was. Uh, during uh, college or before? It was during college. I think it was on a spring break or something like that. You know, one of those holiday breaks. So I'm back yeah. home in Maryland. Drove down to D.C. I think I had to get there at 5 or 6 to sign up. It's at a comedy club that's not open anymore. It's called Garvin's. And I had to do, you had to prepare five minutes. And there were some guys there that were, that, so they had a mix of, they, they got a real audience. It wasn't like the New York open mics. Most of the open mics in other cities outside New York and L.A. actually you know, they might have an open mic once a week or once a month. They actually get a real crowd. They get a, a real audience yeah. shows up to watch. So, so you weren't just performing to... for six other wannabe comedians. No, no. There were, there were the, they had the comedians uh, separated into two groups, the professionals and uh, the amateurs. And some on the first night I went there, I think Blaine Kapatch was there. Uh, very funny guy. He, he writes know, on, he's in Blaine. LA. He's written on tons of shows. And he came up with, uh, I think him and Patton Oswalt pretty much started at the same time. Um, and I don't think Patton was there when I went on the first night, but Blaine was. So anyways, the, I always, I was so nervous. You know, I was, like I said, I was very What'd you introverted. look like? Beard? No, I wasn't. I couldn't grow a beard at night. Hat? I was wearing hats, but I didn't the first time I went on. So you I, just went up without the hat? Yeah, I thought I, I thought I was supposed to kind of dress up more or something, but I was, I was wearing hats. Like, and I, I always wear hats, even as a little kid. Uh, going to school where I grew up, you weren't allowed to wear hats at school. So second you got out of school, yeah, you throw and one I on. did it. Yeah, and then I remember, I think I was in college, and one of my dad's coworkers was bringing his family over, and they were going to have dinner with us or lunch or something. I don't remember. They were just dropping something off, and I decided, and then they're like, "Hey, Judah, come downstairs." So I decided to jump down most of the stairs. And I cracked my head on the bottom of the second floor on on the ledge there. So my head was like bleeding a lot and stuff. So I basically had to get the, uh, you know, a few inches on the top of my head shaved because they had to put stitches in there and stuff. And uh, I've hit my head a lot, by the way, over the years. And then, uh, so then, so I had this like big bald spot. I'm probably like, you know, 18, 19 or 20. I have this big bald spot there. And it hurt a lot too. Uh, so I was like, all right, I guess I'll start. I don't think I'll wear a hat until the hair grows back sure. or something like that. So I think, and ever since then, I was just like, I think it's just been a hat nonstop. <laughs> when did so, you start making them? Probably like mid nineties. The one you're wearing today is incredible. Yeah, this one, this was a cheap one. I was just, this is in, it says world champion in, in Swedish. I was in Sweden about a, about a year and a half ago. So I, uh. I, I made some ones in different languages when I was in different countries. It's great because you have actually very good handwriting. Oh, okay. And so you've written this one yourself. Yeah. And uh, you've got the umlauts in the right place. Yeah, cool. It's a beautiful baby blue. Cool. Um, so you That's, get it. Yeah, it's part of their colors. Yeah. So you yeah, get up. So, and what so happens? How's it go? So basically, I don't think I went on until 10 or 11. And I've been there since 5. And you're watching everybody else. I'm, I'm a mix of going inside the club and outside the club. How nervous are you? So nervous. And I'm literally just going... Saying my act to myself out loud, like whispering, hold <laughs> not so tight, like like for for six hours straight, <laughs> so fucking nervous, you know. And then there's a guy on before me, 
Now, in my mind, he's like in his 40s, but I was 19, so he could have been early 30s or something. You know, sometimes your perception. And he was a guy, I'm not sure what country, but it, it must have been India, Pakistan, or Bangladesh. He had a heavy accent, was not doing well. You know, this is another, you know, open mic comic. And uh, and it's late. The crowd's starting to peter out a little bit. So right before I go on, the host goes to me and he goes, I'm cutting you to three. And, oh, and, no, and three I, minutes. And I, and I first start, my first thought was, why is he doing that? But then I realized, oh, it's because he's just, he's just, he's actually being nice. He's trying to get all the comics on, you know, before the crowd leaves. Because the guy before me was really tanking. Wow, you have the presence of mind not yeah. to take it personally. That's impressive. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I... I, I think at the time I didn't I, I was like I was a little upset but I wasn't I didn't take it personally but I don't think I realized what his intent was until later you know until years later but no I didn't get mad at him or anything I was just like and you know I'm 19 most of my life I've you've you've had people just yelling at you and and, and yeah. telling you to do things and you have no say you know, right. you know? I mean that's why everyone is a kid everyone's just fucking telling you to do shit and you have no power you know it sucks you know so so anyways so now I'm, my immediate thought was how do I put 5 minutes into 3 minutes what do I do cuz you know uh it's not like I took a class or anything. Yeah, you're just and, getting and, up. and it's not like, and I would actually, uh, I think I would tape record myself before I ever did stand up and say it in the tape recorder and then time it out. And then and I would do some pause for where a laugh might be. The full Rupert or Pumpkin. Something. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So, is that what he did? I can't even remember. It's like in the basement. Wouldn't he, Wouldn't he go down in the basement? I can't remember. That's a great movie. Yeah. I got The King of Comedy. Yeah. I got to see that again. But uh, so He would leave pauses for the laugh. Oh, he would do, I this, mean, I remember he would do right the now. show. Right, you know, right, right. Yeah, he was thing. very confident with it, though. Yes. I was like a terrified mess when I was doing it, or very cautious. You so, know? so what happens? So, so I go up there. And I I did get some laughs, not big laughs, but I got but some. some chuckles. But as soon as I got on stage, uh, you know, you're not, you know, you're not aware of like how you thought it would feel on stage and with the lights on you and stuff. But as soon as I got on stage, it felt warm and it felt like home oh. and it felt relaxed. It felt so good. Like the first time you ever felt like that. Yeah. It just felt, it felt, it just felt great. Wow. Yeah. It just felt like peaceful. And relaxing. And even to this day, like, like you know, some nights I might be doing four sets and like, people are like, why are you doing that? Why don't you just stay in relax? I'm like, because that relaxes me. Stand-up is the most relaxing thing I do. I, 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 over the years, I've gotten more relaxed doing stand-up and less relaxed in real life. I'm trying to get more relaxed in real life. Because offstage is when I'm often, you know, a mess. And then on stage. Things are going well. Why do you think that is? I don't know, dude. What do you think? You must have thought about it. Yeah, but I, I don't know the answers for it. You know, I think a lot of it, some of it is just getting older and confidence. You know, uh, like, like as I've gotten older, like I've always had, you know, paranoia and OCD and fears of dying. Since I was a little kid, I was like fears of dying, like, like, like heavy fears of dying. You know, when I was like three or four or five, I always thought some old guy with a sword was going to come in and start well, dude, killing Dude, I mean, everybody. look, you're gonna, and whenever it, <laughs> in every, whatever way it is, it's going to yeah. be catastrophic to you. Yeah. So, I mean, you gotta, yeah. that, right, right, it's, right. A, it's a fair fear, because right, you're right. going to have a catastrophic death. 
I hope not. We I hope all it'll are. be nice and easy. And Believe me, old, the moment right know. before it happens, it's still going to feel like a catastrophe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Some people, I think, go real easy. You know, they're, they're you see you going like a llama? I, You're going to go like a llama, you think? Uh, what does that mean? Like a Dalai Lama. Like oh, at peace, like Tibetan Book I think of the some dead. people do. Like, I mean, if I you're going to go... If you're going to go, I think that's the best like way to go. Like a Tibetan monk. You know, some people do, like, but... Uh, well, what do they say? They say, you know, your I don't whole know, life is just preparing, getting ready for that. That's yeah. If you want to go like that, you got to, you got to really, those guys, the, you know, you got to start by reading that thing, the book of the dead. Oh right? man, now I'm going crazy in my head right now. You are? <laughs> this hasn't I'm getting helped. all paranoid right now. <laughs> no, I'm just, because now we get to have Robin Bird next to the Tibetan book of the dead in the show notes, which is all, but so. I really want to meet Robin Bird now. I did once walking down cool. 67th Street. Her once. She was with a dog. Yeah. And my, Dave Levine, my creative partner and I, yeah. we just. That's we just awesome. clapped her off the street. That's awesome. Yeah. We just thanked her for- Did she give you a nice nod or yeah, anything? Yeah, of course. She smiled yeah. big. Yeah. We were like, when we were 16, you meant everything. Thank yeah. you yeah. for all of it. Yeah. No, she was great. But, um, so you did it. You felt comfortable. I, I, I wanted to get into this thing about the persona and we're, we're getting the, yeah, yeah, towards yeah. the end of the time because, yeah. I mean, I'm wondering if part of it is that when you're on stage, you are untouchable because you are not being Judah. Uh, interesting. You know, I think, I think a lot of it is, that's an area where- it's something that I do well in, and you're also in control of it. Sure. You know what I mean? Yes. Although I do like a fair amount of chaos. You know, I, well, that's I, why you I, invite the audience in. Right, 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 right. right. I, don't, I don't like just pure domination. <laughs> you know, I, I like some chaos, and I like things. Because you probably uh, like, you like being I able like to things, surf through and it, And I like right? things to be unplanned, you know, and I like uncomfortable moments, you know, and I've been doing a lot of that in my act now where I'm talking about different social issues, whether it's racism or classism. I like going to exactly where people really are uncomfortable to discuss anything. And, uh, but, um, so off stage, I don't know. It's like, uh, some of it I think is just losing confidence. You know, it's like, you know, I've had off and on chronic health issues for 10 years and that stuff can just, you know, and pain issues, physical pain issues, and that stuff can just kill your confidence. back pain? No, er everything, you know, just all, all kinds of things, you know, it's like, and it can just, uh, you know, it can just, it can wear you down and beat you down and, and it can, and it can make you lose confidence and get, for someone who's already paranoid, can make you more paranoid that anything you do, you're going to somehow get a physical ailment from it. That's going to take a year to get better if it gets better, you know. You mean you so. think what if you, if you don't eat? Well, even writing the book, writing the yeah, book. Yeah, tell me. I had to, uh, and it happened in my last book too. My, when I did my last book, I was typing so much. Uh, I was typing like 17 hours straight to like make some deadlines and stuff. My, I got tremendous forearm pain where I could barely open up my hand. And when I was doing a signing, I could barely hold the pen. I, I, I could barely like do a signature because there was so much pain. And just doing, just moving my fingers one inch created tremendous pain in my arm. And I had it for over a year. Uh, and, and for like four months, it was severe where I could just barely do anything, you know. How'd you get uh, it better? Uh, just, it's, it's, I, I still have problems with it. When I was doing my new book, I had to take a week off because things were hurting so much, you know. And I, and I, and I went to all these different doctors. I have and a shit. feeling it's all connected. Well, I, I do have, I do have neck, uh, spine, uh, you know, cervical disc disease in my neck. So I, I do have chronic, uh, neck stuff and I do have some impingement stuff in my back. So some of the, these things are legit and certain motions, you know, they 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 get bad a lot, you know. Have you like, ever read the Sarno books? 
No, I, I haven't, and I still haven't read it. Yeah. yeah, we have a line in our show in Billions where yeah. someone says to someone else, have you read it? And they're like, I have it. And the guy's like, well, it doesn't work if you just shove yeah. it up your ass. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to actually well, what I don't take, like about a lot have... of these self-help books is most of them should be 25 pages. But most His of them- His is super short. Sarno's is under 100. I'm a under slow 100, reader. Under 100 pages. I'm going to try it again. I'm Healing Back Pain or the Mind-Body Connection yeah. by Sarno. <laughs> if, you, if you, I mean, would you, what would you even do with yourself if you had none? If you could, if you could let all of it go. Like if yeah. you could actually picture your life, yeah, without the paranoia, yeah, obsessive compulsive, yeah. pain, could you even picture what it would feel like to let that shit fucking go? That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Have you? Have you? You'd like it. You'd like. What would you do if you didn't have that to press against, man? If you didn't have that, I don't know. if you Just, didn't have that to push against, you know, like if, those if, bastard uh, teachers. Well, if there's, I'd probably be, I'd probably be more prolific with. Uh, well, do you feel successful? Yes and no. Because yes you've been no. remarkably successful. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I am and I'm not. You know, I, I, I still don't feel like I've made it. I still feel like I'm in the Rocky One phase of my life. You do? Yeah. Before the fight? Rocky One before the fight. Yeah, I'm about I'm about halfway through the Rocky movie. So he's got the big fight booked and he's training? That's where I, you are? I think I, I, I think this is where I'm at. I'm being told I have the big fight, but I don't realize it yet. I still think <laughs> Apollo Creed just wants to spar with me. Right. You think he just wants a sparring partner. <laughs> yeah. And you don't I, understand. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where I'm at. Like, I don't you have won't a take any cheap I don't, shots. I don't, I don't have an Adrian. You know, I, uh, and then. Have my, you, when's the last time you had a serious girlfriend? I was seeing a girl off and on for, we, we, off and on for two years. We're not, we're not anymore. You right. know, and it was, you know, probably about 50% on and off, you know, so. Uh, so you're ready to find your Adrian. I've been ready. It's just, uh, or at least I think I'm ready. Uh, but uh, you know, I mean, done he got that himself yet. in pretty good shape before he found, you know, in the in the process. I remember she said no for a long time, but then he started the running and the yeah, exercise. I don't know. I found and... with girls though, when when girls say no, they they mean it. it it's like it, like you know, for me, yeah, no means for, no, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, I agree for with me, you. Yes, relationships has never been like it is in the movies. You know, in the movies, uh, I, I, you know, you see a guy and. Let's like the first girl uh, she sees, he's into her, and then whether she's into her, into him or not, he will pursue her, and by the end, it works out. For me, I have any time I think I've ever initiated, like, ooh, I see someone who I'm just attracted to, or there's something about them that I like, uh, their personality, whatever. If I make the first move, it never happens. They've got to make the first move because, in 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 my life, at least. Anytime I've made the first move, I think ultimately it means they weren't interested because usually they'll do something to let you know that they're interested, you know? So if they're not making that, and I'm calling that the first move, them doing something to let you know that they're interested. And if they don't What's do that- What's an example that, of that? I don't know. I'm not that good at reading those cues. I, I miss those <laughs> That's cues great too. great too. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So- Right, even Rocky could figure it uh, could figure it out yeah, somehow I guess when he was so. in the pet store. And then with me, since people uh, where I'm at now in life, where a, a, you know a lot of people recognize me from stuff, there might be girls that are I think are giving me signals, but they just want to hang out with me so that they can then uh, take an Instagram photo and show it to their friends, you know, or or they might want to like so they're not really interested in me. You well, know? like yeah. I think a girl's flirting with me, but she just wants to take a photo with me and then show it to her boyfriend. Well, what is real success? That's brutal. What does real success look uh, like? Though? Well, because you were a regular. I mean, you've been yeah. a regular on a, well, a TV show for seven years that was yeah. one of the biggest shows right. in, in, the, in the world. You're no, it was a great a headlining show. comedian across the yeah. country. You've yeah. been in great independent movies. I mean, yeah. you're a famous person. You haven't yeah. done your own special yet. I'm sure that's by your choice. 
Uh, yes and no. Uh, it's certainly by my doing. I don't know if it's my choice. So that is what do you probably. Mean you don't know it's by your choice. Well, you can have your own special if you wanted, Judah. I know, but at the only at this point, the only person stopping me is me. That is probably the biggest thing that I need to do, and it's been the biggest thing I need to do. And I think there's been th- about three or four main things keeping me from it. One is I've turned down specials over the years. I, I should have had four or five specials out Absolutely. by now. Absolutely. And I think if I did, my stand-up career would be, I'd be much more of a name in stand-up uh, and more people would then, I would have, you know, uh, more respect as a stand-up because more people would know me as a stand-up. You'd be headlining bigger places, bigger theaters. Bigger places. And I, and I just think the general public would know me as a stand-up first. And, and they probably should, because that is my main thing. That is home base for me. It's what I do the most. It's what I feel I'm the best at. Uh, I like doing comedy in all areas. And I think doing it in different areas enriches me as a comic and as an artist and as a, a person. So so there's a few things. I've had, I've had a few special offers over the years. And Comedy Central, I think they've gotten a little better with them now. But they used to do them where they owned your material. Like... And I disagreed with that. So basically, it should be they own that performance that they're airing, but I should still own the jokes that I wrote. They shouldn't own that. That's mine. You know, and so I would always just on principle say no on that. And then the other one was censorship, uh, Comedy Central, and and it was words and subject matter. You know, two different areas. You know, certain words you can't say. But now Big J's doing specials for them. I'm sure you can. That's what I'm saying. They they have changed. They have changed some. Uh, and then uh, the other area, which is newer now, it didn't exist a few years ago, was your creative control over how you can get the, it out there. And now with, you know, the internet, new media, there's a comic can have a lot more control in how their comedy is marketed. Because before you did a deal with one channel, they decide to air it, they can air it once and then never air it again, and then you can't show it to anyone. So that explains why you haven't done a special. Right, so that's one of the... No, 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 that's not that's all reason the reasons. One. That, that, that's one of the reasons, or a couple of the reasons. The other one is my own fears. Right. Uh, my own mental hang-ups. Uh, it's probably some more of... It's probably mostly fear, but there might be some other angles there too. So that's why I say at this point, I'm the only one holding me back on that. What's your fear? So, there's a few fears. Uh, and then the other, another reason is I've also been fucking busy doing a lot of things. You know, 30 Rock uh, took a lot of time doing the, that. Yeah, the fucking it's, busy excuse that doesn't, that's the one that doesn't wash. Okay, no, that's let's, fine. Let's, that's let's fine. put that one that's aside. Fine. Let's just move that I, one aside. Well, I, I didn't there's let, a whole hiatus did, on a show. It. You weren't writing yeah. the show. Oh, I know. You had the fucking time to do it. That's I know. Time is the bullshit. Right, Keep right. going. But <laughs> You're busy, what, not cleaning up your apartment? I mean, you've got the time. You know what? Let me tell you something. To that, not clean that's takes a very, time. I think this might be more perceptive than you initially thought. <laughs> I think not cleaning my apartment is much more emotionally draining yes. and time-consuming than actually cleaning my apartment. I believe that's true. It can be a torturous process that is years long. <laughs> to not clean it. Yeah. It's no, like constant anxiety. Of course you know, it is. And yes. Pain. And what if she comes over and yeah. then how do you explain it? Whatever you know, but uh, so um, so with the fear thing, there's a couple fear things. One is my own perfectionism. It's like since it's something I care about the most, uh, I have the most at stake. So if it's not filmed well, uh, and you know if it's not recorded well, and if even if the recording's great, and then I think of a new line 
to go onto a one new tag bit. on top of the tag. Yeah, yeah, you know, I was like, fuck, that should have been in there. And it's like, you know, I definitely have perfectionism and, and perfectionism can be great, but it also can hinder you in things. For sure. Because it can keep you from finishing things. 100%. So that is, that's a legit issue that I have, is the perfectionism thing. It's like, just get it done. Yeah, The Artist's Way is what I use to break me out of it. I agree. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what stopped me. I had that that's too. That's a book? Or that's the Artist's a... Way, Julia Cameron. That's what okay. stopped me. I, that's what stopped me from being like someone who could write movies. And then, then gotcha. I read that book and that I did the thing. That's great. That broke me out of that. That's a hard thing, that right, perfectionism. Right, right. So that's something I've had for years. And with stand-up, you know, since that's the most at stake for me, I care the most about it, so I have the most perfectionism with it. And uh, so that's not a fear thing. That's a, uh, it can be an OCD thing. It could be a perfectionism thing. Combination of pride, fear, you know. But then the fear thing also, and I've gotten much better at this the past couple years, and I never used to have have this stuff, but somewhere, I don't know, past, I don't know, like four, six, five years ago, I got a lot of anxiety over what other people would think not people in the crowd but like people on the internet uh critics uh i got so i i got way too much anxiety like thinking like they're gonna shit on me just because they want to shit on you when someone wants to shit on you they can shit on you yeah sure there's nothing you can do about it and they got a lot of pull and you know i don't have a pr person i don't have a lot of pull when it comes to things like that they're gonna shit on me you know, and people can really do that, you know, just snowball thing. And just if someone big says something, everyone kind of just falls in line with them. So I got this thing where they're going to shit on me and then everyone else is going to jump on it and shit on it. And then it's going to everyone's going to say it's a fucking piece of shit, the thing. And the fans uh, in audiences uh, who might like it, their voice is not going to be as big and I'm going to be panned. So that kind of fear. How many followers do you have on Twitter? A lot, but I don't how even many? know how many of them are real. How like, many followers? Real, like 430,000 or yeah, something. That, in today's world, yeah. that defeats those critics. Yeah, yeah. That just defeats And them. then the other person... The you're you're, you're right. going direct but to also, your crew. But also, that's not what art is about. Art is about well, of course. you doing your thing, you put it out to the world, and then it becomes theirs, and they get to share yes. it and do what they want with it. It's not about getting great reviews and stuff like but that. All you, you need can't... to do is the Louis model and put it out yourself and do yeah, it your I'm way not, and I'm, market to your I don't people. have a big enough following to do that. It's like the Louis model's great, but I think it only works if you're at a certain level and have a certain following. I don't have that. My, my following's not, I don't think yeah, my following's Yeah, your following's not quite Louis or Gaffigan. It's, it's not nearly that. There, There's dwarfs mine. When I go to a town, it's like I can walk around the city and everyone will be like oh wow what are you doing here oh so cool to meet you take photos and shit they're like why are you here i'm like oh i'm doing a comedy show where i'm like the place right behind me we're standing (laughs) in front of it and they're like oh never even heard of that place gaffigan louis they'll go to a show and they'll sell fifteen thousand tickets before they get there i go there do tons of media and i'm still barely getting a couple hundred together if I can get 200, I'm, I'm, you know, so I don't sell. But the special my, is going to be a big. But, but I'm saying my fame level versus my draw at a comedy club level is. Well, you is, just said it. They don't close. maybe just associate you with being a comedian because they right. haven't seen your special. Right. So, like, I just watched that bit you did on Columbus Day, and I got to say, yeah. you know, you're ready to do the special. If you've never oh, been ready, oh, you're so ready no. to do it I'm, now. I'm, I'm really trying to tape one by the end of January. I'm trying to tape one. Let's make one. that a deadline. Yeah, I need to do that. Uh, and then the other thing is, so basically, when I do a book, and it was something I was very passionate about, 
but I think it's a little easier for me to do the book because I have less fear you don't have with so much the your, success of Yeah, it. you don't have so much of your, even though you put everything you have into it. And I did. Not you know, so much no of your- I ghost writers or anything. Not so if much the of book your, sucks, it's because I did it. It's you know? clear. Not so much, and it doesn't suck. Not so yeah. much of your own personal identity right. is locked up. Right, it, right. You define yourself by like, you as a stand It's like the whole world. So it's like- But you kill every night. Oh, I know, I know. And no, no, but it's not that. But my fear used to be was was not uh, the fear would be wow it was filmed horribly they did a terrible job in the audio or uh, you can just control so much of that now. Oh, I know, I know, I know. You so, just can. Yeah. So here, here, here's here's the thing. Another thing is I'm not that my organizational skills are not that good. You know, my producing skills aren't that good. You know, I'm good at the creative stuff and I can even be good working with other people, but. Getting things done, like just mailing a letter for me can take hours. So the people listening to this yeah. show. <laughs> mailing a letter can take hours for me. What does that mean? Or, or days, because I'll keep delaying it. And then I, I get a lot of anxiety just putting a stamp on an envelope and the then finality of the it? stuff of it. I don't know. It's it's related. It's it's mental issues. But so like even in my stand-up act, you know, many comics, when they go on the road it, it's or do an hour-long show, it's real easy because they know point A to point B throughout sure. the whole thing. And me, I'll know maybe the first two jokes. And then I'm really just, you know, I have like an arsenal of material and jokes in my head. And I'm really just kind of winging it as I go and trying to do it as organically as I can with that crowd, with that specific crowd, with that specific time of that day and night. So well, my and, act and, is and always- yet, And yet for all that, yeah, it kills. Oh, I know, and, I know. And here's but what, what I'm saying is, but as far as I understand like that it's, the simple things of yes, organization, I I'm not. Very, I, I, understand. I need to get someone who can help me. But like, you can produce, really easily get that, and but it, I'm not good at that because I have trust issues, so I, I don't trust a lot of people. I understand, and the people <laughs> listening, I hope people understand that what you've done for them is highlight every fucking bullshit <laughs> excuse that they give themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of why they haven't found a way to break through and do the thing they want to do yeah. if they haven't. Yeah. Because all of us have some of this, you know. All of us sure. and yeah. uh, many artists have some of the stuff you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to have that mailing letters thing. Yeah. I would things would sit around forever, and I couldn't quite bring myself to do that. But well, you, even when I'm doing it, I know I, I, I get the OCDs I, if I don't I, write a certain I way. Can I can understand a bunch yeah. of this stuff, but a lot of yeah. us can. Yeah. But also, sometimes you maybe get to a point where the stuff that gives you it used to give you great comfort, like a warm bath, but it finally gets the place where you can't, where you know it's not serving. Yeah, you anymore. but my fears with all these things I was talking about, like the critics and stuff yeah. like that, my fears have subsided a lot in that. Good, and I'm I'm feeling very close to getting ready to to being at a at a mental state in my mind where I'm not worrying about and getting anxiety over doing a special. I'm actually looking forward to doing it and doing many of them. You Great. Know, That's a perfect know. place to end on. We yeah. are really looking forward to this yeah. special. <laughs> yeah. Use your followers to find your people who can help. Yeah. Uh, my uh, producer, Jason, fa we found each other on Twitter. I said, like, does someone love podcasts and are they interested? They have a background. I got a whole bunch of resumes. I set up a separate Gmail so I didn't have to give my account to people. No right. trust issues. I could vet Jason with the people who employed him before. And then he's kicked ass and really helped me that's great he only ever lost one show one show didn't get recorded but that okay. was it it's a very okay. small number okay if you think about it out of out of 90 podcasts one didn't get recorded not bad that's pretty good not bad that's pretty good yeah. um listen judah you're hilarious your book if the raindrops united is funny and smart i know you're good at ping pong and i might respect that more than the rest of it because i know how hard it is to become really 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 good at ping pong and soccer, two sports I'm good at. Soccer's the one with the feet? Yeah. Huh. 
I was better at soccer than ping pong. I'm an American, so I don't know yeah. about that. That's it's all not. Good. I don't know what that. That's not it's all the good. thing. I throw balls. I can catch them. I like that. I can too. shoot balls. I like In those basketballs, too. I can do. I like. I like and all sports. racket sports. I can use a racket. Yeah. I like Honestly, all sports. Fuck the feet. If no, Steve Nash, if Steve Nash, if you're listening, let me just say, um, I love soccer. I'm just kidding. He's a Come big on the soccer po- guy. That's why I said it. Yep. Come on the pod. No, everyone in his life listens to the show, and I really want him on the show. So, Steve, we can talk soccer. I'll study up. Come on, Steve. You can do it. You can do it. Hey, Judah Friedlander, thank you. You can find Judah on uh, Twitter at? I'm uh, Judah World Champ on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, website, judahfriedlander.com. The book... Uh, is in stores and online so check it out check it out you can find me at brian koppelman on twitter and uh you can email me themomentbk at gmail.com i read them all even if i don't respond and i um, happy to listen to any comments criticisms thoughts that you have don't uh email me ideas for movies or shows or books i what, what i do with those is i'll pick the best line from them send them to judah he'll make baseball hats out of them and that's all that's going to happen All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you next time.